Tonight's scripture is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that may even bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, If you do what I command you, no longer do I call your servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Rick and Jennifer. Um, I think what you were sharing there really gets to the heart of what we're trying to talk about this Lent. Not everybody should move downtown, um, but as they were went through this season of spiritual transition and began to seek the Lord, began to abide in the Lord, began to draw near to the Lord, God began to give vision for their life. And they're following it. I, I really think that's a great picture of the Christian life. And uh, I noticed, too, in a Hope's Prayer and then in several of our songs, this theme of, of hope. And it it just occurred to me that hope comes from having a vision. Hope comes from having a sense that you know why you're on the planet and what you're working towards. You have something to get out of bed for in the morning. And where do you find a vision like that? Well, you can go search for it. You can go take personality tests. And I suppose that's all helpful. But what we're trying to say this Lent is you abide and then you go. That how whatever it looks like for you, as you learn how to nourish that life in the vine the result will be vision. The result will be mission. The result will be calling. The result will be a life worth living, a dream worth pursuing.
So maybe you could even just check in tonight about your own hope level. That struck me during Paige's prayer as we move towards the resurrection. How's your hope? Do you know where you're going? Do you have a dream? Uh, And if you're kind of conflicted about that, a a good place to start is with abiding, with uh, kind of digging back in. Reconnecting to the body. Well, we've been talking a lot about how to do that this Lent, and we've been talking about being in the Word, being in prayer, very individual spiritual disciplines, but there's also a corporate dimension to abiding that Christians practice over the centuries as a way to help them connect with the vine. And we've got a couple of things that uh, we're going to offer this year. Uh, that we've never done before in Holy Week. And Matt just did a tremendous job. That's our, that's our conference room, by the way. Um, and Matt uh, just did a tremendous job turning it into a chapel. And um, we have uh, gotten permission to have the chapel like that Tuesday to Saturday during Holy Week. And Matt has uh, found some wonderful art week of this, artwork of the Stations of the Cross, and the seven stations Christ went through on the way to the cross. And historically, Christians have walked those in Jerusalem, but also in churches and in other places, as a way of kind of identifying with the suffering and and mission of Christ. Uh, And it's a rich spiritual practice. And so we're going to invite you to come in anytime you want, uh, between all day long, uh, to to walk the stations. Um, Matt is going to be recording a podcast and uh, that'll be available on our, on our website. One of the things we're reeling, realizing is that we have a virtual congregation that's as big as the people that are here tonight. Uh, more people listen to the sermons online than come to church. Uh, I don't know what to do with that other than give in. So, <laughs> so uh, we as a staff are thinking about how to use media more effectively to connect with our virtual uh, con- congregate, congregation. So... So tonight we're going to look at verses 14 to 15. Um, And yeah, this whole theme of abiding and bearing fruit is what this whole Lenten season is about, that you go deep into abiding and it results in moving out for God in mission. Tonight we're just going to think about a simple phrase. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And as we said last week, I, I don't think that means... And if you don't, I'll squash you like a bug. I think it means I'm naturally going to describe what it looks like to be in relationship with me. You'll live out of my revelation to you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So Jesus says there's this enormous transition that's taking place here actually on the eve of of, uh, the crucifixion. So so he's a few hours away from bringing in this this, uh, epical change in the way people relate to God. And and he says, look, here's here's what's about to happen. Um, We are going to, to change fundamentally the way people can relate to God forever. We're going to move from a servant spirituality to a friendship spirituality. That may be one of the most significant lines in the, in the whole New Testament, if not the Bible. 
No longer do I call you servants. In other words, no more. This is ending. That season is over. Now I'm moving you into a new kind of relationship. And, and what he's talking about here is, is the difference between the old and the new covenant. And I said a couple months ago, I said, the longer I study the Bible, some things become clear. Jesus, a lot of theological things become murkier. And I have been wrestling with this question of what is the relationship between the old and the new covenant now for, for a long time, uh, early in seminary, early in college. And it's a difficult question. What is the relationship between the old and the new covenant? How do you honor God in the old covenant and the people of God in the old covenant, but also recognize this dramatic change Christ says happened through the cross and the resurrection? I want to think about that just a little bit with you. If you have a Bible, uh, Deuteronomy 28, um, and if not, I will read it to you. I think this is a great verse that summarizes kind of the way the the Old Covenant works. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy, God is given the law to to Moses. The people have wrestled and struggled in the wilderness. This is 40 years or into the wilderness. God, through Moses, is restating the law. He's saying, this is what the law is about. Here's the law. You know the law. Follow the law. And then he says, Deuteronomy 28, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey. Blessed shall be you in the city, and blessed shall be you in this field. And then he goes on and on about all the blessings. Then verse 15, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, and be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you. Cursed you'll be in the city, cursed you'll be in the field. And then there's many, many verses about the curses. This is the Old Covenant. God gives the law to the people of God. And then he says, you bless it. you'll be blessed if you keep it. You'll be cursed if you don't keep it. Now, there's a lot of things about the Old Covenant that are similar to the New. It's the same God. He always relates to his people out of mercy and love. The Holy Spirit is present in limited ways in the Old Covenant. People are saved by faith in the Old Covenant. But at the core of the Old Covenant is keep the law and be blessed. Don't keep the law and be cursed. Now, Jesus says that we relate to God in a different way now. He says we relate to him now as friends. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, I want to just try to tease this out just just a little bit. It'll take a a little bit of doctrinal work here, but I think the implications are, are, are really, really, really important. Jesus says that the difference now between being a servant and a friend is now we know what the father is saying to us every moment. Now we have a sense of what the Father's heart is for us in this very moment. Under the old covenant, we were servants, we followed the rules. We knew the rules, we kept them. Under the new covenant, you have a moment-by-moment abiding, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit who reveals the will of the Father for us in that moment. And we respond to that 
revelation in love. And that's the new covenant. Now, how does this happen? It happens through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will say that in just a few verses. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on His own authority. Whatever He hears, He will speak. That was not the way the Old Covenant worked. In the Old Covenant, God would speak occasionally to a prophet or a king, but the idea was, here's the law, obey it. In the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit reveals the Father's heart moment by moment for you. For your job change. For your marriage, for your singleness, for your sexuality, for whatever's on your docket tomorrow morning, for your loneliness. The Holy Spirit reveals the Father's heart for you on a moment-by-moment relationship. And that is how you discern whether or not you move to Mechanicsville. Not because it's a law, but because in their case, the Father's heart was for them to move and they responded in obedience. Do you see the difference? And life begins to get exciting, if not also frightening, when you start to abide, when you start to deepen your connection with the Father through the Spirit and understand what the Father's heart is for your life now. Now let's look at just a couple other passages. Um, One is 1 Corinthians 2. You could say at one level that the whole New Testament works this out uh, in, in, in how, it, how it comes about. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, is he saying that the law doesn't matter anymore for the new covenant Christian? Can't be saying that. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. And listen to this in Romans 7, verses 4 through 6, where Paul's working out the new covenant relationship with the law. Likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law. You're you're done with that way of relating to God. You've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you can belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our passions aroused by the law were at work on our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Not under the old written code, but under the new life of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, we just did that one. I want to, yeah, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Paul's talking about what it's been like for him to be a minister of the gospel. And he said, God has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then one more, the whole book of Galatians is really about this. Galatians 4, Paul says, 
An heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. He's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God. So the difference between being a dutiful servant of a loving master and an intimate friend of a loving Lord is the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that a spirituality of servanthood and a spirituality of friendship are dramatically different. And Christians under the New Covenant can move back and forth between the two of them. That's what the book of Galatians is about. And I I put together a little slide and um, tried to talk a little bit about the difference between a servant spirituality and a friendship spirituality. And I I want you to to maybe think about which one are you living under? Uh, Servant spirituality is transactional. Okay, I'm I'm keeping the rules. I'll be blessed. Friendship spirituality is, I, I'm, in, I'm in love with this God. He's in love with me. Together we're healing the world. Servant spirituality, impose. Here are, the, here are the laws. Do them. Friendship spirituality, release. God is in you. Christ is in you. The Spirit is in you. Let the Spirit release. Servant spirituality, there were 612 commandments. Uh, I didn't really count them. I read it in a book. Um, friendship, spirituality, Jesus says there's one, love. Servant, spirituality, keep the law. Friendship, spirituality, yield to the spirit. Servant, spirituality, awe, which leads to terror, fear, and dread. Friendship, spirituality, awe, which should lead to some terror, fear, but also intimacy. It's a paradox. Servant spirituality, I will obey. Friendship spirituality, I will love. Servant spirituality, I'm the loved servant of a distant king. Friendship spirituality, I'm a beloved son or daughter. Servant spirituality, perform. Friendship spirituality, abide. Servant spirituality, there's grace. Friendship spirituality, it's all grace. So which of those two are you more living in at the moment? And if truth be told, we go back and forth. And what I encourage you to do is start to be more curious to the state of your own soul and reactions and ask yourself, right now in this moment, am I living more as a servant or as a friend? And here are a couple of the symptoms that I wrote down. Maybe this is different for you. This is, this is more what, what it looks like in my life. If I'm living more as a servant, I'm more prone to anxiety. I'm more prone to being depressed and fatigued, spiritually burned out. My faith can be fear-based and focused on getting it right. 
Spiritual practice bring a burden and a frustration. If I'm living at a friendship level, I see more of the fruits of the Spirit, the rest of the Spirit. I'm very concerned with listening to the Spirit. My life has this kind of natural rhythm of abiding and going. My focus is on love. The spiritual practices bring joy and life. So today, servant or friend, if you had to kind of put a little dot up on the, on the screen, where are you? Where are you? Here's the hard part. If you're more on the servant side, I can't really give you three steps to move towards the friend side. I think it's more a posture of your, of your heart. And my experience has been that the way God moves us from the servant side to the friend side is that he allows us to become spiritually exhausted or depressed or burned out or crash and burn. And it's then that we finally realize that we're living under the old covenant. We don't have the resources to do it. And we start moving towards an abiding life in the Holy Spirit. This is what breaks my heart so much in these conversations I keep having about deconstruction and reconstruction, which are wonderful. And I I, I want to keep having them. What I find is a lot of people leave the church with great hurt, great anger, great frustration, great burnout, and, and they're done with the church. And what I perceive often is happening, at least at some level, not to put the, get the church off the hook. A lot of times the church has done terrible things. But at some level, what I think also is happening spiritually is God is trying to move them from servant to friend. And he is trying to dismantle a religion, a religious system, to tear it down, to, to tear the altar down so he can rebuild something different. So if you're in that place tonight and you're mad and you're angry and what about this doctrine and didn't the church abuse kids and doggone it and all of that, want to honor your anger, want to create space where you can share your anger, but I also want to suggest to you that your disillusionment with the institution of the church may be your salvation. It may be leading you into the real thing, which is not faith in an institution, but abiding in Jesus Christ. I asked permission from a friend to share this, and I'll end with this. He's had his own journey about all of this, and he, he, he said that... Uh, He's been thinking a lot about the different ways to follow God. And he was in a prayer meeting recently, and some people were talking about an altar and and the importance of sacrificing all to God. And and he was thinking about, you know, I need to to make my life an altar. I need to sacrifice on that altar. And, And he was praying, and he said, I'm not a very mystical guy. I don't have many visions. But when I was saying, Lord, make me an altar, I want to be an altar, he had this vision of the altar being knocked away and a bench being put in its place. And the Lord was saying to him, you're my friend. I already sent my son to the altar. Let's talk.
Let's pray.